Welcome back to a new episode of RNF Unlocked. We are here in beautiful Malaysia, the start of the final triple header of 2023 season. The home GP, of course, for the Crypto Data RNF MotoGP team. I'm Neil Morrison, and I'm joined by none other than Razlan Rizali, the sole Malaysian, or I should say Asian team principal, in the MotoGP paddock. Welcome home, Razlan. Hi, Neil. Thank you very much. And in today's episode, we will talk about how all this came together, the RNF MotoGP team, as well as the state of racing in Malaysia. I'm delighted to say that we're also joined by Mohan Ramanujan, the author of the Paul Tan News Portal, and Harris Iskander, a Malaysian motorsports enthusiast. Salamat the time, gentlemen. Thank you. Welcome to this podcast. Welcome to Malaysia. Yes. I have to say, traveled all this way to come to Malaysia, and today it's done nothing but rain. What's happened? Well, we want to maintain it this way for obvious reasons. Yeah, but uh, the last uh, couple of weeks it's been raining in the afternoon. But after all, it is the monsoon season. Okay, um, and you know, with Sepang, when it comes to rain, it brings brings out the spectacular of the show, I guess. Absolutely. Guys, I was uh, speaking to uh, Mohan before we started recording. You guys have quite a quite a long and storied history. Mohan, could you care to tell us a little more? <laughs> <laughs> love and hate relationship. Uh, lots of love, lots of hate, lots of. Uh, there was a bit of a helping hand. Uh, no, no, not in the gauge. No, 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 no homo, no homo. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, Raslan's been a friend for a long time. Uh, we've ridden bikes together. We've. Should I talk about divorces? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> because there, there was a point in our, our lives when you know it, it sort of like um, sort of like reached a certain parallel. Yeah. But uh, that's that's behind us now. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, when Razlan was uh, CEO of uh, SIC, I landed him in a hot soup with Dorna a couple of times during the uh, repaving incident and. Uh, flooding and everything else. So yeah, uh, Razlan hates me. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, good to hear that. Harris, uh, always a special occasion when MotoGP comes to town, and uh, I guess it's a, it's a big weekend for the Spang International Circuit, big weekend for Malaysia as well. Uh, can you feel the excitement from the, the local fans for this weekend? Well, well, yes, absolutely, because I think one of the biggest events we have in Malaysia is MotoGP, you know, apart from Formula One in its earlier days. Uh, what, 80 to 100,000 people easily on a, over a weekend. But I believe weather is going to also play a very important part this weekend. Of course, you guys are right smack in the middle of the monsoon season. And that's going to be a little bit tricky. We'll see how the weather plays out on Sunday, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It should be very interesting with the World Championship on the line, of course. This being the Malaysian Grand Prix, obviously we're going to talk, Razlan, about how this whole team came into existence. Uh, this country, this circuit has played such a, an important role in your career. Um, first of all, how is it to come back to the Sepang International Circuit where you spent so much of your professional life? Well, not only uh, professional life, uh, like Mohan said, you know, we, we knew each other when we were riding bikes here in Sepang. Um, when I was racing in the national championship, uh, when I had my own national championship team here, uh, we come here practically every weekend. Uh, probably that's the cause of our divorce, huh? Yes. <laughs> you, know, like you, you know how motorsport takes its toll on your marriage. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, yeah, we, we come here basically every weekend. It's like our second home. Uh, we break number of bones here, oh, yes. you know, so, so we, we have a long, long history with, with Sepang Circuit. And to finally being appointed as the CEO of Sepang Circuit in 2008 was, in my view, a dream come true. 
Okay, and and part of that strategy, our strategy for Sepang Circuit was to bring up the two events, Formula One and MotoGP, to the same level. And at that time, MotoGP was lagging behind. You know, for those who have been to Malaysia MotoGP for many many years, I'm not sure about you, Neil. When's the first time that you've been to Malaysia? But you can see the crowd is basically about. 15, 20, 25,000 max in a capacity of 150,000. Yeah, we used uh, to struggle to get 30,000 people. Yeah, and and Carmelo did tell me that sometimes there's more people in a paddock than on a grandstand. You know, so so we need to see how we can bring up MotoGP to to the nearly the same level of Formula One. And the philosophy, the strategy then was very very simple because MotoGP has been in Malaysia since 1991, since Shalam, uh, Batu Tiga. Uh, where Valentino Rossi started his career, um, and and the easiest formula is just to put Malaysian in the World Championship. So we did that in 2009 with Wildcards, and then Fami became uh, the first rider for us in 2010 for a couple of years, uh, and it works. And from that moment on, the crowd in Malaysia, Sepang Circuit, every year increase. You know, we sell out. You know, last three years, 18, 17, 18, 19, we were, we were sold out. And that is the strategy. The marketing strategy is to put Malaysians in a world championship to promote MotoGP better. And MotoGP overtook Formula One in terms of spectators. It became nearly irrelevant, and we had to advise the government to drop Formula One. Uh, so the last time we had Formula One was 2017 and MotoGP continued to grow. Okay, so essentially the roots of the team begins here in, in, in Sepang Circle. Absolutely. I think the first time I came here was 2010. I remember coming to the track and being amazed at seeing Famicaro Rudin's face just everywhere. You could see the advertising and the marketing was really spot yeah. on to make people aware that they had this kind of new Malaysian hero yeah. coming up. Yeah. Um, guys, was that something that you were aware of at the time? I guess um, you had some Malaysian, strong Malaysian riders in Grand Prix level in previous times, but I mean, Famicaro Rudin nearly won the race here, right, in 2012. Well, he wasn't a podium. And to me, that's the best memory ever, you know, yeah. to to be in a home GP uh, podium, first Malaysian to get on a Moto3 World Championship podium, so. Yeah, yeah. And see the Malaysian flag fly. Yeah, <laughs> problem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Could you see how that sort of brought engagement with uh, the local, the, the, the people here, to have the, that kind of home rider, that hero that they could support? Well, I guess the sentiment has always been to have a Malaysian rider competing in whatever world championship that we're taking part in. You know, that is the sentiment. Yeah? Um, you can't help but being very patriotic to see a Malaysian rider there. But um, at the same time, let me just emphasize that in today's world, I think uh, we should have riders who are there on merit. Yeah? I mean, it's easy to say that you have a Malaysian team, you need a Malaysian rider, but we just don't want to make up the numbers. Let me, let me tell you this. I mean, for a number of years, I think about 30 years, we've lived by this uh, sort of like mantra, Malaysia Boli. It means Malaysia can, Malaysia is able to. And in many ways, that has helped inspire a lot of Malaysian talent, individual businesses to go abroad and excel at many different levels. However, I think we should take that a step further now, you know, having been 30 years of, of believing in that. And um, if you're gonna have a Malaysian rider competing in the World Championship, for instance, whether it's Moto3, Moto2, or MotoGP, 
let it be a Malaysian who is capable of winning the world championship. Why not? You know, we should not be satisfied with just having a representative at the world level, at whatever degree or whatever discipline of motorsports, but he should be someone who's actually capable of winning it. You know, that, that is the position that I would, I would like to take. Like, I mean, I, I don't know whether Mohan well, or Dato shares the same thing. Look, in, uh, well, in the beginning, yes, because to be honest, the first few years is a marketing thing because it's a marketing strategy. You know, but after then, then people are very patriotic. Yes, they want to come to the track and watch Malaysians. Even if they were last, they, they will come. But it comes to the point that, hang on, if we continue to do this, you, you want someone that can fight. Okay, especially when you see the likes of Fami, you know, he was last, 2010, he was behind, then he slowly progresses and finally he wins. That's what they, they want to see. Okay, because in the, in the beginning, yes, it's, it's, to be honest, it's a marketing thing. Okay, but after a while, yeah, we want someone to be in a wild card, for example, to do something special, to be competitive, not to just make up the numbers, just wild card and be behind. And there's no progression after that. Sorry. Well, yeah, well, I was about to say, you know, uh, when you were talking about progression. And Malaysian riders, yes, we have lots of talent. Uh, we have what we call in, in Malaysia, Brani uh, Mati. They're not afraid to die. You know, they're not afraid to die on the track to achieve what they want. The problem is when they get to the international stage and then they realize on the whole grid, everyone else is within 0.2 of a second, 0.3 of a second of them. Okay, so on a local level, yes, you know, they are, they are seconds ahead of everyone else, and then they go to Europe, and then they find out that that, that margin is, and they choke. Okay, now, uh, uh, speaking to Razlan over the years, um, he has told me, he has faced that problem with some of the riders. And obviously, as team principal, uh, Razlan has shared with me, how the team works behind the scenes, some of it. He doesn't tell me everything, you know, because he's afraid I'm going to publish it. <laughs> so, but he tells me certain things, like uh, uh, psychological support for the riders, rider coaches, you know, uh, training uh, uh, support from uh, uh, people, locals, from Malaysia, other Malaysians. Okay, so Razlan uh, uh, recognizes that, yes, uh, RNF is an, uh, an Asian team, and used to have an Asian rider. And yes, you know, he, he did try to, to put in that support system. And the riders still choke. Uh, so it's, it's a sad fact, but we've had uh, quite a few riders get up to the international, uh, international stage. And, oh, this is too hard. This is too difficult. This is, I'm not finding the success, you know. Uh, the sky is blue. Okay. So but by all means, not only motorsports. I mean, we had football players. No, forget. You know, who, who who tried to go overseas or get sign up with clubs in Portugal, for example. And, and when they go there, they couldn't handle the living abroad. So it's the same thing. And that's why we provide as much support as possible. But still, um, some people just couldn't hack the living overseas. Yeah. yeah. Razan, I think you've been quoted in an article recently saying that you don't maybe expect to see a Malaysian rider in MotoGP in the next 10 years or so. Um, is that, I mean, that's something that you, you, you think at the moment and, and how, how can we help 
uh, Malaysians get to the top elite level of this sport? Well, this is a reality that everybody, all Malaysians must face. This is a hard reality because right now, who is, who is in the World Championship right now, even in Moro 3? Sharifuddin Azman or Damo, okay? People already question whether he's eligible to be in Moto3 this year. I say yes, because he was fourth in the CV in the Junior World Championship last year. So he's very much eligible to be, or, or entitled to be, to, to, to be in Moto3. But his performance are not there. Okay, so, so, and we don't know whether he will continue next year. So that means next year, potentially, we have no Malaysians in any of the World Championship. And I also said that we are behind Thailand and Indonesia. Okay, we were so far in front before, you know, now, now we are behind. What, what's wrong? What happened? You know, so that's why I said it will take at least 10 years before we see anybody gets into MotoGP. Because to get into MotoGP, like Harry said, just because your passport is Malaysia, and just because it's a Malaysian team, so I, I'm ob obliged to put a Malaysian in a, in a MotoGP? No. You know, you want to put a boy in MotoGP if they do very, very well in Moro2. Okay? Okay, I'm shooting myself in the foot. I had Darren Binder last year, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that was a risk, a yeah. huge, huge uh, risk, okay? And they don't call him a dive bomb for nothing. You know? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's our, our former <laughs> He, he was well, very well behaved last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he was, I, I, yeah. Yeah. I don't know about 10 years, you know. I mean, that, that time frame can always, can always change, <laughs> right? But what I can tell you is that um, the team that you have now is actually not the first team that has gone overseas. You know, we've had a team in the mid-90s that set up a team in Spain, in Europe. Um, they basically yes. had the proper infrastructure, the right mechanics, team engineers, competing in the Spanish championship right machines. Um, however, if you have difficulty beating a 14, 15, 16-year-old on the grid, then that really says a lot, you know? So coming back to, to what I mentioned, I mean, let us have riders who real, rightfully have the merit to compete at whatever level, right? But that doesn't prevent RNF, for instance, you know, having a Malaysian team, the identity of a Malaysian team going abroad because you do, not measure, you do not measure the success of a Malaysian team solely by having a rider, right? You've got team management, you've got uh, hospitality, people who go for sponsorships, you know? You've got team engineers, mechanics. Why can't we look at that? These are guys who are already competent and are capable of doing it at the world level. Do you hold them back waiting for a rider? No, you let them go first. The rider can follow suit later as and when the time permits and it's permissible. I think one of the things that we need now is we need a lot of exposure, right? Um, exposure in terms of sending riders to the right countries, to the right platforms to compete in. I think a lot of our riders are very talented. We have a lot of good, talented riders. Um, however, the pool of talent is very small, you know, in terms of population, right? So we've only got these selected few that you can, you can actually send for exposure, but we need the right exposure. It's, it's similar to having um, the world's best fighters in Muay Thai competing in Thailand. You send them to Thailand to train. You, know, you don't send them to Australia or the UK. So if the world's best riders are from Spain and, and say Spain and Italy, that's where we should be looking at. You know? I mean, that's my point of view. I could be wrong, but 
yeah, that, that, is, that is basically where we should be looking at, you know, and look at the progression of these riders. Of course, um, when you take into consideration commercial interests as well, there must be a time frame. How long do you give these riders to develop? There's only been seven Malaysians competing in the World Championship. Three have won podiums, right? The rest, zilch, right? Some have spent six years. Do you continue investing in that individual? Right? At the moment, we also have many Malaysians abroad in different disciplines of motorsports, four-wheel and two-wheels, who have exposure overseas, are competing overseas. Some are doing very well. However, when you look at exposure, you have to take into consideration financial resources, whether you're in the right team, you have the right support, the right car, right championship, right? Some of these guys who are abroad may be able to compete, but are they the best that we have? That, that is very questionable, because they might, you might have exceptionally better talent here, but they do not have the same resources to go abroad. So it's, it's a very, it's a very uh, elaborate, uh, I think the dynamics are very different. Yeah. Well, the, yeah? the elephant I'd like to address, the elephant in the room that I'd like to address is the political dimension. Mm. Um, Everybody keeps on saying that, okay, there's some level of politics, but in what sense, okay, everybody says that, you know, comments made that, yeah. oh, it's all politics. Well, like what? Okay. Um, the man in the street, you know, the average Joe, everybody looks at uh, the national oil company, Petronas, as a cash cow. Everybody. Everybody thinks that, okay, I need to do this project, or I need to do this team, or I need to do such and such a thing. And who do you look for for money? Oh, let's ask Petronas. Everybody thinks yeah. Petronas is just there to, you know, yeah. like, like the fairy godmother. Okay. Um, yeah, but then, then, we all know racing's expensive. Then, then if, if Petronas yeah. has to bow down to CSR strategy, then unfortunately, that's the way it is. I mean, if they don't care about results, they just put whoever on the wild card and yeah, we're supporting Malaysian riders, that, that's it. And that's it. Yeah, exactly. You know? But, you know, again, so uh, coming back to that. So, yes, uh, there has been for quite some time uh, teams that have come in, they've had a structure, they've had a, this thing, uh, like uh, Harry said, you're not the, you know, RNF is not the first to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think uh, in terms of the optics, the exposure, uh, you've got the highest level thus far, uh, with or without Petronas money. So that's commendable. Uh, but how does it translate back uh, in RNF to a Malaysian dimension? You know, uh, that's I think what a lot of people are asking. Uh, but I mean, it, it's not an easy question I think uh, uh, for any of us to answer. Mm -hmm. you know, there's no direct answer for that. Well, I think the, the question right now is where are we heading in terms of Malaysian talent? You know, the question is how long does it take for us to see a Malaysian in MotoGP. I'd just like to ask you, Razlan, you said previously your Malaysia is even behind Thailand and Indonesia for producing riders currently. Well, how, what, are they, what are those countries doing slightly differently than Malaysia at the moment? To be honest, it's all about support and it's all about financial support. You know, Thailand and Indonesia in terms of bike market is much, much bigger than Malaysia. It's probably, what, two, three times bigger oh, than Malaysia. Oh, so much bigger. 
Okay, and even the likes of Honda and Yamaha, which is the two biggest players in the region, they are supporting riders in a proper path into MotoGP. Okay, they're no longer focusing. This is what this is what I gather. They're no longer focusing on. I'm sorry to say this, underbone championship. Okay, they're more focusing on putting riders, their respective riders, Thai or Indonesia into the Junior World Championship, into the CEV, send more kids into Asian Talent Cup. Okay, that's the focus. I think because the, their bike sales is so huge, you know, that they can afford to do it. With Malaysia, with Bonsu Honda, they, they couldn't. They could only do it a little bit with Karo and Hampawi. And after that, there's no more budget. So they're focusing more on the underborn championship and to some extent, the Asia road racing. That's it, you know, so I think they don't have, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't have the likes of Petronas, you know, with Pertamina don't do so much in Indonesia. In fact, they go with VR46, okay? And then uh, in, in Thailand, you don't have uh, PTT uh, supporting uh, a Thai rider to, to that extent, you know? Uh, but it's the manufacturers who came in. Yamaha and Honda is very big, so here, Unfortunately, the market is small. Uh, uh, the, the market that they're focusing on all the small capacity bikes, and they're much more happy to invest in the uh, Malaysian Capri or Asia Road Racing. There's no real, I believe, there's no real priority or interest to take any of these boys to the World Championship. Yeah. If, if I quiet, was... quiet silence. <laughs> well, I don't know if I should say what I was about to say, but... Um, don't forget, Yamaha sponsor your buy ads on your <laughs> website, right? That's, that's, <laughs> well, that, that's a website, you know, but, but I'm here as a, as a private individual today. Uh, one, one thing you mentioned, Paul Tan. Oh, you should. <laughs> oh, bugger. But, you know, look, uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of the riders uh, who came up from Ka uh, Capri, Hafez Shahrin, uh, uh, and so on, they all, a lot of Malaysian riders get their start in the Capri. Um, and the problem is when some of the local race teams have a winner on their hands, they try to want to hang on to those guys. You know, it, it doesn't, make, it doesn't yeah. benefit them by letting the riders go to the World Championship. And even yeah. for them to go to the World Championship, it, it costs three times more uh, uh, to take this boy to the World Championship. And, and, and what value add? Mm. You know, patri patriotism is not enough. Right. Mm. Right. So, so the local teams, you know, okay, yeah, we have a winner. This guy's uh, uh, selling bikes for us. He's selling parts for us. You know, great. Oh, he wants to move up to. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. So, okay, we'll pay you another two, two, three thousand a month more. You know, here's a brand new bike. Here's a brand new car. Oh, you're getting married, sure. You know. He... <laughs> Tell me that hasn't happened. No, it happens for sure. It happens. <laughs> So sometimes these riders uh, are held back by circumstances. Uh, a lot of these boys, they come from the kampong. And when you become a professional rider, you know, suddenly it's like the world is your oyster. You know, you have this team behind you. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I made it. And unfortunately, and that ha happens. I mean, when they reach the World Championship, Moto3 at least, they've made it. <laughs> You know, it's, it's like they won the World Championship. That's, they made it. Yeah. I'm, I'm there. That's precisely the point right. that I made earlier. You know, I mean, look, Usain Bolt, when you, when you arrive at the World Athletics Championship or the Olympics, 
he was nowhere. He spent four and a half years trying to run a nine second, 100 meters. And after that, the rest is history. But that's blood, sweat, and tears that went into the training. Now, like I said, you, you want to put a Malaysian on the, world, on the World Motorcycle Championship? Can. How well is he going to do? We don't know. That's where complacency sets in. You know, like what Datuk mentioned, I'm already there. I'll just try to hang on for as long as I can. But do you have that burning desire to become a world champion? Right? Now, having, having, having mentioned about world champion Malaysian, right, another dimension that we also need to look at is how much of an impact would that be? You know, besides being proud as a Malaysian to have a, a fellow countryman as a world champion, where would that leave him, you know, in the world championship? You mentioned about Petronas. I think besides Petronas, uh, which has a business interest all over the world, I don't see any other Malaysian companies rushing to go and sponsor a Malaysian rider who's going to compete in, in, in the world championship because they have no business interest in where these locations are. For that international yeah. exposure, yeah. Unlike yeah. the European companies mm. who actually have that, yeah. that growth yeah. Yeah. mindset, you know, going global. Yeah. You know, that's to another to issue Asia, that we face. For example, to have exactly. Asia, well, right? the <laughs> At some point in time. Yeah? So again, that's, that's one element. The other element that I would also like to touch on, I mean, if you look at talent, Malaysia is not short of talent, okay? Let's talk about world championship, world number ones, badminton, squash, bowling, diving, and for God's sakes, we even have the men's dodgeball team, believe it or not, right? Paralympic archery, Paralympic long jump and even a production car world rally champion. But what, apart from a few individuals, what has become of these world champions? You don't see companies from Europe wanting to uh, easily sponsor these companies to continue their career, because number one, probably the markets that they serve, the people can't associate with the world champion that you have, right? I mean, that's the reality of it. You know, that's how I, I stand to be corrected on this, right? But if you're going to have a Malaysian, let's look at Moto2, Moto3, World GP. If you have a Malaysian champion, that person has got to have exceptional talent. He's got to have the right personality to go with it. And he's got to be able to speak at least Spanish and Italian. That's how you relate to the markets that, I mean, let's look beyond Malaysia, right? But if you can't do these things, then it's, it's a very uphill task, like, more, you know? I yeah. mean, it's, I mean, that's a good assessment, but we will never know until we have actually one world champion right. in motorsports. Right. I don't know, do you speak Spanish? It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. You just, you just signed the checks at the end of the month. And <laughs> Guys, this is a really interesting discussion on uh, the state of uh, Malaysian racing. Um, also, I'd like to touch before the time is up, Razlan, on the origins of this team, um, because we said we were going to talk about it at the start of the show. Um, I mean, I heard that you tried to have a Model 3 team initially, and you were rejected a few times, and then eventually the SIC uh, team came into yeah, existence. It, Can you tell us a little bit it, about how that, that came it past? Came, it came to the point when, okay, the, when we don't have a team, you place a rider in a team. Okay, so at that time we were with Akiayo. Okay, we spent, we invested a lot with Akiayu, putting, putting Zofami and then two other riders, Aizad, late Aizad, and um, I can't remember. It came to the point where Malaysian companies started sponsoring that team. So then we were saying, hang on a second, so we 
invested this boy into this team. We pay a foreign team, and then they attracted local sponsors. It doesn't make sense. So I proposed to the board that it's time for us to have our own team because of these dynamics. And the board says, look, we are a circuit. It's not our business to run a team. Okay, so the first proposal that, that was presented got rejected. I think that's the only, in my 11 years, that's one of the main ones that's always got rejected. And then I did it again, uh, uh, presented again, then it got rejected again, until the Asia Caterham Moto2 team, I don't know if they remember, Neil, with yes. uh, Johan Zarko and... Um, Josh Herring. Josh Herring, okay, and Tony Fernandez decided to stop the Asia boss, and all the stuff was given to me, uh, uh, to Sepang Circle at a nominal value. So I presented to the board again, look, Asia Model 2 team stop and all that. We got all these things, you know, now is the best time to do it. So that's how it started in 2014 where we got our first uh, Moto3 team. And of course, the rest is history. We grew all the way to 2019 to 21 with the MotoGP team, Moto2 and Moto3. Yeah, and then the kind of development from, I think it was 2018, um, I think it was a space opened up in the Premier Class grid, uh, one or two teams Yes. Pulled out, Mark VDS, and I think Aspar, yes. and then yes. suddenly there was a, a, a road paved for yes. you to, to join. Yeah, at that time I had somehow or other had a very good relationship with Petronas. Uh, they loved me then, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, so they supported the idea and they wanted to go into uh, MotoGP. They couldn't go into any existing team, so I went and speak to uh, Dorna, and they, they allow us to have uh, entry. Uh, and Petronas agree, and uh, 19, 20, 21, we, we were there, and the rest, you all know what happened. <laughs> no, actually, we don't know what happened, but... Uh, you are instigating the situation. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, I, I guess I just want to leave you with one more point. Um, yes, MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3 is at the pinnacle of two-wheels motorsports, but um, there's no harm in also exploring talented Malaysians, you know, in other disciplines, motocross, supercross, Dakar, um, superbike championship, trials, for example. We may not have the talent in motos, Moto Grand Prix, but who knows, we may have the talent in other fields. You know, that's also something to look at. Yeah? I, mean, I, I agree, but again, the driving factor to focus on circuit racing is purely because of Malaysian MotoGP. You know, if we don't show the continued success of Malaysia MotoGP and with the current economic situation, the political situation that we are facing as a country, the days of Malaysia MotoGP might be numbered. Okay, why do the government continue to support this event if you see a decline in spectators? Number one. That's what happened with Formula One. We saw a decline in spectators, Sepang Circuit start losing money, okay, then we are in trouble. Okay, so hence, I don't, I don't disagree the fact that yes, we should support the other disciplines, but it's purely directly related to Malaysia MotoGP. Okay, we want Malaysia MotoGP to stay forever and ever and ever, I guess. Okay, but we need to show success. You know, so if that, if that, if we see a decline, 
then Malaysia will stand to lose out not having a Blue Star Ribbon uh, event in Malaysia. Yeah. And, and, and MotoGP is the longest international event Local. in Malaysia. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it has, and, any, and I said this many times, it's considered as a mega event. Olympics, Commonwealth Games, Formula One, MotoGP, these are events that needs, especially for Asian countries, these are events that needs to be supported by governments because no one single company can do it. Okay, and these events need to be supported by the domestic market. If the domestic market do not support it, it doesn't work. Well, if the Indonesian government, or sorry, the Malaysian government is listening to this podcast, make something happen. Uh, <laughs> put, put, put as I see in the picture. <laughs> Shaf is going to love me. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I think that brings us to the end of our discussion from today. It's been absolutely fascinating speaking about the, uh, the state of racing in Malaysia. So thank you very much to uh, all three of our guests today. Razlan, first of all, thank you very much. Thank and uh, you. good luck for the weekend ahead. Thank you. Thanks very much as well. Mohan, it was lovely to meet you and lovely to hear your thoughts. Thank you. And thank you very much, Harris, for joining us and uh, offering up your insights thank on you uh, the much. state of uh, yeah. Malaysian racing. Thank you for welcoming us. Absolutely, yeah. So that's thank it for this episode of the RNF Unlocked show. We'll be back next week in Qatar with a special episode on the Aprilia project. So subscribe now and comment below on any questions you'd like to ask the team. Tarima Kasi. Thank you very much. Thank you, <laughs> Brian. Lovely meeting you.